What's up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Show me the meaning! My name is Jared. I'm joined here with the Show Me the Meaning crew. We got Ryan. What up, film fans? And Jacob. Hello, hello. Today we're breaking down the 2019 movie Ad Astra, directed by James Gray, starring Brad Pitt, Tommy Lee Jones, and Liv Tyler. As always, we're going to go around and get first impressions. What was it like? I imagine we've all seen this movie once, but what was it like the first time you watched it? You watched it, And if you've seen it a second time, what was it like revisiting it for this podcast? Let's start with Ryan. Oof. All right. Um, well, so I would say that I overall liked it a little less than I had anticipated liking it. Unfortunately, I thought it was beautifully shot. It looked amazing. I I thought mm-hmm. that they definitely were swinging for the fences in terms of, you know, they, this is a fucking big budget, eye popping spectacle movie for adults that we never see ever. You know, this is a space epic with like really, you know, intense uh, themes, not for kids and uh, which I was really excited for. And I love James Gray. I fucking love the movie Two Lovers. If anyone's oh, seen yeah. it, I was going to say, one that's like best, one of your favorite movies. one of the best movies Yeah, the movie's ever. incredible and it's super underrated. Not many people have seen it. It's totally, it's just a movie with a couple people and it just works. And so that guy knows how to make a movie. So when he, he got the reins to a, a giant budget, I was super mm-hmm. psyched. Mm-hmm. I didn't really care for The Lost City of Z, his last one. But um, the, the thing I kept... Th- thinking about this i'm sure we'll talk about it but like like about seven times during the movie i was just kept going this is basically apocalypse now like straight up i kept thinking mm-hmm. about the movie apocalypse oh. now re- like the heart re- of darkness thing yeah heart of darkness you know because it, yeah. it, 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 it there's a lot of one-to-one parallels so kind of once i and i i don't know who knows if they really looked at that as a reference i have to imagine they had to so I definitely was thinking of it. That was on my mind. I love the world building in this movie. That's probably my favorite part of it. I love that there's a Yoshinoya on the moon. Yeah. <laughs> I was and say, an you think these guys paid for uh, And there was a subway and a DHL. Like, do you think these guys paid for that? Or it was so not flattering. Like, yeah, that was the weird thing. Like when you when there's product placement like that, that's critical of commercialism. Do they still pay? Yeah, it's that's, like... yeah, it's a good point. Um, but, but regardless, I, I, by the end of the movie, I kind of definitely, it did not pack the, the punch. I, I think I needed it to punch. And a couple of reasons for that was not only, um, just thematic reasons, but I, I thought that there was some pretty big story logic jumps in the movie that kind of mm. were, took me out of it at times. Um, that hopefully we'll get to, but yeah, that's kind of my main impression was, was really good, ambitious film, but I don't think that it was really resonating at the end. Uh, Like I like the voiceover narration, but I don't know, like, like it didn't have enough to say at the end that I really could relate to or grasp onto. What did y'all think? Jacob, you want to go? Yeah. So I saw it with you. I had, I I hadn't even seen a trailer. I just went right in to go see it for the first time. And uh, I, yeah, I think I was just left wanting more. Like it was, it was fine. I thought it was a beautifully shot movie. There were, it was, it was a good time. I'm glad I saw it. But I think a lot of the moments that were supposed to really hit home, like Brad Pitt's big performances and the big moments and the big turn of heart, that needed to resonate in order for the whole movie to work. And it, it just didn't resonate for me. I was sort of catching myself saying, okay, that this is the scene in the movie where this is going to happen. And it pulled me out of it a lot. Mm. And, like, it's pretty important. Like, this is – you have to really be in line with Brad Pitt on on what his journey is and what this relationship with his dad is and what this means in terms of getting his validation or getting that love back or not. And for that, I just didn't feel it. 
but it's, it's all it wasn't like I didn't get that chill feeling. Um, and but I thought it was yeah, it was competently made. It was good, but it it even though I had no expectations, I still was left wanting more, given like the budget and the scale mm-hmm. and the actors. I think the scale has a lot to do with it. I mean, most space movies are they're in space because it's a setting for big ideas. Mm. 2001 A Space Odyssey, oh Interstellar, these movies have grandiose ambitions into right. making you question the meaning of life, humanity's place in the cosmos. I think this movie deliberately evades that. I've actually only seen two James Gray movies mm. and they're Two Lovers and The Immigrant, both of which are very emotional, very character-driven movies. Mm-hmm. And to me, the, the setting of this movie being in space is arbitrary relatively arbitrary Mm -hmm. because the whole message of the movie at the end is essentially don't sacrifice yourself for knowledge don't go out into the stars and sacrifice your family's life and all that stuff just be stay grounded focus on what's in front of you and that's kind of that's what you got out of it I got I, I kind of disagree with that reading a little bit. Like maybe for, if from if you're analyzing the Tommy Lee Jones character, like well he Mr. McBride, but for for Tom for uh, Brad Pitt for Tom Cruise, that would be a different. I'd movie. say it's just that there's a cost to doing that. Well, yeah, but Brad Pitt ultimately comes back to Earth and reconnects with his wife. His wife is the person he left behind. That's true. And he's he ends paralleling up his, dad, I mean, his that, dad. That's the whole thing. He ends up distancing himself from his dad. His dad is the one who said, "Screw my family." All I care about is ambition. All I care about is science. All I care about is extraterrestrials. And I think that at the beginning of the movie, he talks about how he looks up to his dad Mm -hmm. and how he worships his dad because he sacrificed himself for science. And I think the arc is that he doesn't believe that in the end anymore. He... As well as the personal story of his own need for validation from his dad, like he he has a narrative and a storyline in in his mind of what happened and how it went down. He didn't get it. And no, it was until he dropped that storyline, until he realized right, exactly. that he couldn't get it, that it wasn't real, that it wasn't worth chasing. It was just just as like Tommy Lee Jones and the whole universe was searching for extraterrestrial life in order to feel, to get hope. Yeah. He was searching for his dad to have that hope. And once that was broken, he realized all he needed was to be back home and everything right. that he needed was here. Yeah. Everything That's the he needed right. was on Earth. I read a T.S. Eliot quote separately i was reading a book on buddhism and this quote was in there and then i started doing some searching today and i felt like this quote really kind of encapsulated the theme of the movie this is from little gidding Uh, it says we shall not cease from exploration and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time yeah well i i i don't take from that though that that's like Everything that you were looking for is right in front of you, and that means that space is not worth exploring. I think that it's just like it's you got to learn that extra lesson that you got to you know be grateful and and take care of this stuff right in front of you. But you, I think that you can still pursue knowledge. Oh yeah, you think think Brad Pitt is going to completely quit being an astronaut like when he goes back to his wife? No. Well, no, but I think he probably will not do years long journeys like he may have aspired to before. Right. Yeah. Abandon and the work is the number one most important thing, and that he will only he will only feel valuable and feel hope and feel validated if they find something else. Yeah. Before we get too deep into it, well, I just want to say I mostly liked the movie. I agree that I actually for most of the movie, I'd say a good two thirds of it, I was surprised that I how much I was liking it. I was like, wow, I'm really enjoying this movie. Mm. I love the scene on the moon. I love all the world building. Like Ryan said, the sets are great. It's shot beautifully. Brad Pitt is amazing. And 
But yeah, I mean, towards the end, I think I was maybe even looking for some of these grander ideas and perhaps the last hurrah with Tommy Lee Jones and Brad Pitt didn't really resonate as much as mm -hmm. I had hoped. Mm -hmm. And the ending was very. Didn't you tell me it was very similar to Gravity? Yeah, just uh, yeah, just sort of like okay, wow, space is a fucking terrible place. Let's get back to Earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Earth is fucking rocking. I, I I have a question though about yeah. in terms of the story leap. So, uh, Tommy Lee Jones and his people they they set off and they disappeared sixteen years into their to their voyage, right? Well, the they hadn't received communication. I thought it was 14 years. They hadn't received communication from the Lima Project. You know what? Let me just answer that by going in to the recap. All right, baby. Here we All go. Right. So after a series of electromagnetic pulses cause massive destruction and chaos on Earth, U.S. Space Command Major Roy McBride is brought in by top military officials who tell him that the source of the pulses is a core of antimatter on board the Lima Project base on Neptune. The Lima Project was a mission to search for extraterrestrial life led by Roy's father, H. Clifford McBride, of which hadn't communicated with Earth for 14 years and thus all involved were presumed dead. The military tells Roy that they believe that his father is still alive, so his mission is to travel to Mars to communicate with his father and stop the pulses. After narrowly escaping murderous pirates on the moon and murderous monkeys after answering a distress call, Roy arrives on Mars where he sends a heartfelt audio message to his dad who responds, but the military withholds the information from Roy and tells him to head back to Earth. When Roy learns that his father murdered the rest of his crew in order to continue his work and that other astronauts are heading to Neptune to nuke the Lima Project base, he climbs aboard the ship uninvited. The others on the crew try to apprehend them, but they all die. So Roy spends three months traveling to Neptune solo, where he has nothing to do but think about his wife, who he's abandoned on Earth. Roy arrives at the Lima Project, plants the nuke, and convinces his dad to come back to Earth. But as they're leaving, Roy's dad opts to die floating aimlessly in space. Roy makes it back to Earth and reconnects with his wife. End of movie. Dun, dun, dun. All right, I got two questions. Okay, before you do that, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors over at Simple Habit. So Simple Habit is a mindfulness app. It does guided meditations. I actually used it last night. Been having some trouble sleeping lately. Mm. So this had a, uh, they have a whole section on sleep aid. They have breathing exercises if that help you go to sleep, they have hmm. ambience that helps you go to sleep. Another thing that I use this for is leaving work at work. So I've a couple times now I've listened to this uh, guided meditation that allows you to kind of do these breathing exercises, do some head movements and stuff to just kind of separate yourself hmm. from the things that you've done during the day. So um, it's got 65,000 five-star reviews on wow. iOS and Android um, it's got a variety of different voices. So if you get tired of, uh, one voice, it's got a whole bunch of stuff. You can use it for all sorts of different things for that are stressing you out in life, whether you got big meetings, parenting issues, etc. So go to simplehabit.com slash show me to get 30% off premium subscriptions for the first 50 listeners. Once oh, again, that's, that's awesome. simplehabit.com slash show me to get 30% off premium subscription for the first 50 listeners. And uh, make sure to use that link. We got one in the show notes so that you know that they know from your podcast or go to simplehabit.com slash show me for 30% off for the first 50 listeners. And now back to the show. And make it a habit of going to Simple Habit. Oh, thank you. There Ryan. you go. Oh, we you know taglines. what? Actually, sorry, Ryan. Before you do that, there's three things I want to bring up real bring quick that up. I forgot to bring up up top. One, 
I've already mentioned this before, but Wisecrack is doing articles now on Medium. we got a really awesome partnership with Medium. We've been uh, working really hard on it. So check out our articles at medium.com slash wisecrack. Also, all of us on this podcast right now are doing our South Park podcast. South Park is on the air right now. It's called Respect Our Authorita. Respect Our Authorita. So, yep, you know. Respect My Authorita. Thank you, Jerry. So check that out. It's on uh, It's on iTunes. It's on Stitcher. It's called uh, Respect Our Authorita. So check that out while the show's going on. Lastly, I will be attending the Austin Film Festival this year. Uh, I got invited as a panelist. Woo! So um, if you guys want to meet me there, they're offering Wisecrack fans $25 off badges. It's October 24th through the 31st in Austin, Texas. Use the promo code WISECRACK25. The information is in the show notes if you guys want to hang out with me, meet some writers at the Austin Film Festival. Anyway, Ryan, what did you? What were those two things you wanted to bring up? All right. One of them I'm more confused about than the other. So, for one, the, Tommy Lee Jones, they, uh, they stopped getting communications about 16 years into the thing, but they knew that they were around Neptune. It doesn't take 16 years to get to Neptune because Brad Pitt got there in a couple months in the movie. So, were they just flying around the galaxy and then they just happened to lose track of them around Neptune? Is that kind of the, the, the story? Well, he, I think he, he uh, sabotaged the mission. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones' character, I think he sort of intentionally, he, there's the whole scene where he ended up killing everybody, yes. he turned off communications, and then decided to sort of live out the project on his own, I think. Right, right. Well, but the whole thing was that I think they were supposed to stay on Neptune for a certain amount of time. Yeah, yeah. But okay. when everyone else wanted to leave, Tommy Lee Jones was like, uh-uh, we're staying. <laughs> Got it. Okay, so, well then my next yeah. question is, is that then he said that Tommy Lee Jones said that there was like a little, like a fight when th- that broke out. Now, when, th- when this giant proton phaser thing that's hitting earth happened is that just because there was a fight that broke out and it malfunctioned or did somebody deliberately hit the thing to hit earth no it was because there was a mutiny and there was a scuffle and during the scuffle that thing got damaged and it was accidental got it okay i read that it's completely accidental no one's trying to fuck up earth correct okay that that also uh Anyway, that might not have confused other people. Sorry. No, 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 no. I thought Tommy Lee Jones was actually intentionally just fucking with people. Like he was a troll and just sort of pushing. Like, I, the one thing I, the one thing I don't know is anti-matter. if he was aware of, of what he was effects. doing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. They but but he also up. probably just couldn't fix it. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> he didn't have a nuke. The only way that they were able to fix it was because of the nuke. But yeah. Back to back to my argument that I think that this movie kind of deliberately evades kind of otherworldly extraterrestrial things. There's the monkey section. You think, at least when I was watching it, you think it's going to reveal some kind of alien life, but mm-hmm. it doesn't. Actually, in fact, when I saw it, I wasn't expecting monkeys. So for a split second when the monkey's face was revealed, I actually, for like a split second, I was like, oh, shit, what is that? You know, like, <laughs> Planet oh, of the Apes you know? now. <laughs> but it, it was actually just a monkey. And then I, and then like over the next couple seconds, I was like, oh, okay. Well, oh, nope, no, nothing extraterrestrial going on here. Because we've yeah. all seen from Alien to Rick and Morty, there's you know, always what, some there's a, when there's a, when there's a distress call on a on a spacecraft in the middle of space, it's probably because they got fucked up by an alien. Yeah, right. Especially when there's no one responding and it's just floating there and no one seems to be around. You're like, uh, we're, I was just waiting for something scary, and it was yeah. scary. But he there was a big a big relationship to rage in the in the film as a theme, right? Like he's like, I saw that that rage in my dad's eyes. I've seen that rage in mm. me. That rage and that, like he he uh, responds to it and he sort of resonates with that rage. He says rage, that about the monkey. About the monkey. Oh, yeah, okay, you remember yeah, that? Yeah, He's yeah, like reflecting right. on like that, like that rage in that face 
he's like, oh my god, that's the rage in me. It's our so human calm. monkey nature, man. That's true. The yeah. monkey mind. Speaking of of meditation. <laughs> um, well, the, uh, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead, Jared. I was going to say. So there's something interesting about the film in that. So at the beginning of the movie, we never really know specifically why they're searching for extraterrestrial life. It just no. says at the beginning that they're looking for hope. Is the quote anywhere online? Did you find that quote? As I, to I, what didn't, it says? I didn't. I didn't look for it, but it's something along the lines of. Stuff is dire, and we're looking for hope yeah. in extraterrestrial life. And uh, not only do they not find extraterrestrial life, but I th- it's interesting how, and that mirrors Roy's whole journey. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, if we're looking for hope in the unknown, you should maybe just kind of look for it for the stuff in right front here. of you. Yeah. yeah. It's like a big exploration. I think that's that's sort of, to me that was the big takeaway of the movie, which yeah. I felt was a little obvious. Like it was kind of like, yeah. <laughs> but know? but how cool is it that there's a movie that formally is all about the awe of the cosmos, about yeah. Our, excitement uh, about the unknown, just in terms of the visuals. But the actual message is that yeah, yeah. that stuff is still beautiful. But really, the stuff that's going to find meaning, you should probably invest in the stuff in front of you mm-hmm. rather than the. Erroneous hope. Yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't really thought about it till you put it like that. But yeah, like I like that this is a space movie about finding aliens, and then they don't find aliens. You're right. And another Hollywood movie would have at the end. It would have kind of been like the con- end of Contact, where what is the explanation for all this? Oh yeah, this weird, unexplainable alien light force thing. You know that kind of. I'm glad that we didn't run into an unexplainable alien life force. I'm glad that basically how we are now in 2019, you know, there's just as much, you know, we think there might be something out there, but we don't know. That's how they are at the end of the movie. And that's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even the antimatter thing. I I mean, when you hear that there's antimatter, that's quite a feat. (laughs) Or not only there's antimatter somewhere in the far reaches of space where they're looking for extraterrestrial life and somehow that antimatter is doing something crazy that's messing with Earth. You, you put antimatter and extraterrestrials together and you think that there's something sci-fi yeah, going yeah, on. Right. And there's not. It's, it's actually <laughs> just uh, people wanted to go home and one dude said no and they screwed some stuff up. Mm. <laughs> um, there's even a part in the trailer where Brad Pitt says, I think this is in the movie too, but I since I actually saw the movie last week, I rewatched the trailer before this. And he says he spent his life looking up to his dad. His dad gave up his life to pursue knowledge. And he says, it's up there that our story is going to be told. Hmm. But I think that's he realizes that that's not the story he wants to tell. The story he wants to tell is with his wife. Right. Is there any parallel to divinity, you think, in all of this? This sort of search and this hope and this thing that we look to in the, st- in the sky and the stars? Yeah. So actually, I'm going to bring up – we got an email from a fan, Cameron. Might as well just bring this up now. He says, uh, I just stepped out of Ad Astra and felt compelled to reach out for the first time. Obviously, a lot of structural up the backwater heart of darkness undertones with Mm -hmm. a sci-fi twist like what Ryan was talking about. But he said, but I'd love to hear more about your interpretation on the fluid and on the fluid evaluation from cosmic nihilism to absurdism. I find myself slipping between the two in my life and saw the film as a brilliant mirror into my psyche. What did you experience? So. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually don't see it at. It's difficult because on the one hand, if you were to make an argument about divinity, you could say that on the one hand, yes, there is no extraterrestrial life. There is no big other in the sky that can give our lives meaning. 
But I think that by reasserting the meaning of the the familial on Earth, I do think that it can't really be quite absurd. It would be a, the absurd is probably more like Tommy Lee Jones's character who just wants to float out in space, has no finds no value back in Earth. Mm-hmm. Was He's willing to give it all. Yeah, to sort yeah. Of- let me give this guy some credit, it. and I, because I, I actually did think that the beginning of the movie had some absurdist form to it. it just the way that that they explained to Brad Pitt when they were giving him the mission, when they literally just say, like in these many words, are like, "So we need you to go to the moon. Then you're going to talk to your dad. Then we're going to go to Mars. And then you're going to." And everyone's just so straight faced, like this is what they do every day, you know. And he's like, "I'm going to Mars, sir." And he's like, "Yes, sir." You know, like it did feel kind of funny, like he was playing it as like, a, wow, this is what the future is going to be like. And it's just so normal. Did anyone get that? If anything, I got I told Jared about this right after the movie that the tones felt odd. The The Natasha Leone character felt like a weird. Yeah, that was a weird. Just cameo. a weird cast, like a weird placement uh, that made it seem kind of absurd. Like, yep, yep, you're here on the moon, or you're here on Mars now. Welcome, put on your shoes. Yeah, there's a yeah, Yoshi on she, the moon. That's absurd, you know. Well, she has this bombastic personality, and that's part of her as a character actress. But the weird thing is, is, is so about what Ryan was saying and how everyone is just so stoic in everything they say. I think mm-hmm. that that's an overall motif in the film. There's all this thing about psychology tests mm-hmm. or the psychological mm-hmm. tests. Mm-hmm. There's a patch on his neck that he connects to these tests so that they can test his. Uh, that's his absurd. heart rate. Yeah, like, it, like how how sound is he psychologically? Yeah. So, her inclusion into this very fleshed out world in where people's mental states are very closely monitored at all times was a bit bizarre. But more on the psychological tests. Did you guys think that he was actually psychologically unfit for the mission? I guess was there any hint of criticism to this militarized technology because. I was. It couldn't seem to detect nuance. It couldn't seem to detect what was going on beneath the surface. In the entire movie, he's he's buried his anger, that rage yeah. that he talked about. He's buried his his true feelings for his father and that feeling of abandonment. He's just bur- it's buried everything way down. Yeah. So clearly, it's like it seems like an easy test to to spoof, like just to sort of. Well, I don't know because at, at the very beginning, he's able to keep his heart rate down. Remember when he's like yeah, falling off shock, the thing, yeah. and it's like so, forty or fifty-five or whatever. But I don't know. When when the machine says he's psychologically unfit for the mission, that's when he sneaks on board and gets those three people mm-hmm. killed. I mean, I, you could make an argument that he yeah, was psychologically yeah, unfit true. for that mission. And we don't know what happened with that. <laughs> like, what happened after he killed those people? Like, when he returns to Earth, is he, is that fine? Yeah, that's fucked oh, yeah. up. He actually, yeah, you know, he yeah, murdered those weird. people. <laughs> We don't know what happened. He actually didn't murder them. They died. They killed themselves. No, but that's, I mean, he put their lives in jeopardy by, <laughs> he did by his actions. No, well, true. okay. So that's a whole other thing but with this did... movie. Is is there some sort of commentary being made about military obedience? Because he's just saying, guys, I am not your enemy. Do not yeah. attack me. And of course they do. And then yeah. they end up getting attacked. The There's whole a, uh, world is on the line, dude. Humanity. You have one guy on this road <laughs> thing. I would kill him too if I was one of those people. It's like, dude, we're going to go save the fucking planet. Get the fuck out of here, you know? Get the fuck off my bus. Like, yeah, get out of here. It's not just some dude. It's the guy who came with you it the first time. That, that, that saved you off. the first time. The guy did. That's that was true. a sociopathic thing you did. That I was mean, a little crazy. I get it. It, it was a little bit crazy, but you're right. All of humanity is at stake. 
and you're going to fuck with Brad Pitt? <laughs> yes. I'm not, yes, I've been trained to kill anyone that gets well, in my way of saving the world, okay? okay <laughs> my family okay. included. But okay. Brad, yeah, he, the uh, other thing, the weird... Th- remember the part where they are landing the ship on... It's either the moon or Mars, and one of the guys is having a panic attack or something? Yeah. What what was up with that? So the co-pilot... Remember the, the pilot... The, the the captain yeah. died with the the ape killed him right. remember yeah so now the co-pilot was sort of like he was a meek cowardly kind of guy who was nervous and scared and really couldn't command the ship okay and so he couldn't land so Brad Pitt had to do the work for him and he said you know why I did that right because right. we would have died if you if I didn't intervene okay and that's why Brad Pitt is then compelled to say you won't successfully complete this mission if I'm not on board with you. That's why I'm going to go on and infiltrate the ship, and I'm going to go get this job done. Yeah, what do you so, think of that, Ryan? I mean, right, well, he, honestly, that guy, those, he guys, those, guys w- those guys would have been whooped by Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones yeah. already took out yeah. seven other scientists yeah, or whatever. That's, that's he, he was I kind of didn't remember that, so good point. <laughs> that yeah. guy was not going to get anyone anywhere. <laughs> he was a, <laughs> a bad driver. <laughs> he was a nervous wreck. Man, yeah. He How did he pass his test? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what was his heart rate? It was like, yeah, you know, your heart rate's at 198. Uh, uh, can I ask about Donald Sutherland? Yeah. So this character, you remember this guy? This was uh, Tommy Lee Jones's old friend. Yeah. He was the guy who was there to monitor him through the first step up to the moon. And I thought, I told you, I thought it felt almost like a Virgil-like character from Dante's Inferno. Mm, like, I'm yeah. going to show you how bad the world is, and I'm going to show you this. I'm going to show you space. But his character just... Ended up disappearing after moon. Well, he after died. The moon. He died. Yeah, he died on that first mission because it was too, too extreme, too, too stressful. Yeah. So, but what what was his? I mean, that's more to the theme of when you Space go sucks. like or ambition. It will kill has you. Has a dark side. Yeah. Yeah. Because what, what? I mean, he's the one ultimately who Space shows ambition. him. What does he show him? He gives him the the tape. No, what does he give him? Donald Sutherland gives him a hard drive that has something on it, which it is has maybe, Tommy Lee Jones on the show. Oh, the footage. Right? Yeah, the footage, but not the footage. Not the footage of him killing his, of right. his co-pilots. Right, that which was the woman showed him t- uh, in on Mars. Now, wasn't he supposed to not give it that to him? No, he wasn't. He was like, "Here, this is my secret thing. Like, I'm giving it to you. It's my." Are we meant to believe that? Maybe I'm overthinking this. That I he was know. killed instead of him not actually surviving the procedure because he did that to oh. Brad Pitt. No, no, I think fun, he's just old. And, yeah, he was pretty... He was it, old, yeah. It does I mean, go to think, your point of, of military obedience, you know, that he probably had these secrets that he wasn't supposed to give, and then he does, and it saves the world. Yeah, it's it's the chain of command breaking down that ultimately saves the planet, or saves, I guess, not the planet, but saves the... Uh, those waves from hitting us, yeah. so we can. It does save the planet. We, it yeah. saves our podcast. We'd be having these like surges right now. It's yeah. just a big yeah. motif for the deep state, man. That's what but the movie is. But what's as a character? Yeah, what is he? He's like the noble, like the wise man. But what you know, like what is he? What purpose does he serve in the plot? Aside from giving him, not he doesn't give him that that crucial information. He's the wise I mean, old we, sage we, that you meet. It's like a surrogate father for his figure. Father. Yeah, you know, and uh, it's a, and he knew his dad. Hero. Right, they yeah. were friends or colleagues before. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems a little. I mean, the whole thing, the whole movie's, it's just fathers and sons in space, right? And <laughs> it starts off as like a surrogate father scenario. I'd we watch see that kind sitcom. of fathers and sons in space, yeah. <laughs> and then Liv Tyler's character, I mean, very flat character. I mean, uh, <laughs> she's a, a vignette character. It's it the was a, version a, of her character in Armageddon. Right, right, yeah. and the, very similar movie. Yeah. But it was like just, it was like a day of shooting, a lot of B-roll. And that's it. 
I mean, that was, yeah, that was uh, disappointing. Like, like Jared said, like, don't use someone famous if you're going to be that role. Like, if it's that flat yeah. of a role, it's just too much like, oh, look, that's Liv Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> wow, she's starting to really look like Steven these days. <laughs> <laughs> Pulling you right, right out. Jared. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about the moon. This is one of my favorite parts of the movie. Uh, I love that the moon looks like a commercial airline because mm-hmm. it is. And they're taking Virgin Atlantic. That must have been product placement. And it was just such a good world building moment to establish how there's contested territory on the moon. Gives us an idea of and more to the point of at the beginning, them not over explaining what exactly is wrong with Earth and what exactly the hope that the extraterrestrials can point to is. This definitely seems to suggest that there is a lot of unease Mm -hmm. among the relationships to the powerful nations. And it's all explained not through a title card, not through dialogue, but through a pretty badass chase scene. Yeah, it was awesome. With a bunch of buggies. Scary. And, uh, you know, like all space movies do, they do really great uh, silent action scenes because mm-hmm. there's no sound in space. Yeah, no, it was a cool. space pirate chase scene on Yeah, it was on space right. pirates. Yeah, it was like Mad Max. It was cool. It was really cool. It was cool. Um so another thing, the name of the ship is the Cepheus, which I was wondering if there was any anything relevant to this because usually if there is a ship named after something from mythology, it's usually relevant. So Cepheus was the name of two Ethiopian kings. I think it's just a father and his grandson. Syphilis. Grand, grandfather and grandson. I think the grandfather is the more famous one. He married Cassiopeia and had and had the daughter Andromeda. And Cassiopeia fucked up because she boasted that she and her daughter were more beautiful than the daughters of a sea god. So Poseidon got pissed, and then the parents, Cassiopeia and Cepheus, decided that in order to appease Poseidon, they needed to chain their daughter to a rock and sacrifice her, but she ended up getting saved by Perseus. So, I mean, there's obviously a lot of difficult, complex relationships between children and parents here. That's all I can really derive out of this. I don't think there's any real one-to-one here. I don't know if necessarily we believe that McBride sacrificed his son, maybe only in a very loosely metaphorical way. Mm Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. I think it's probably just they chose that because it's a general reflection on parents and children. And did you get like there was like a noble lie moment there, like a like a dark night moment when they, you know, Tommy Lee Jones's character is sort of held up as a hero for the world, at least. I mean, it's sort of a secret within the government at the beginning. Right. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah. Because we don't really see how his legacy is written down for the books at the end, right? That's true. No. Just as a char- as as a yeah, as a person, he's sort of like, oh, he and all these other people were on this mission. They died trying to to save humanity. It was a hope mission and how sad. Yeah. But yeah, I, I thought that was like a little moment of that, like a little glimmer of that noble lie piece that Yeah. You gotta gotta keep the heroes, man. Yeah. It's uh, important J- for us. Jacob, we need to believe in something. A, that's called a man who shot Liberty Valance lie, not a dark mm-hmm. knight. Oh, not a dark knight. Or a Ford Apache lie. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna probably do a, a noble John, lie video, John, right? Yeah. John Ford was John Ford was into that before he Christopher was, Nolan. Yeah, yeah, hello. If the truth is if the legend is cooler than the truth, print the legend, bruh. Print yeah, the legend. That's a fucking movie. Yeah. Um, hey yo. Last thing I want to talk about is the production design. Uh, yeah. Did, you know, let me ask, like, really yeah, quickly yeah. on the production design. Just, just that first scene was pretty cool with the antennas and he's oh, yeah. falling off. Did you get nauseous? Because you're a, you're sort of a motion sickness man, like no, me. No, I, I don't often get motion sickness in movies. The only last movie I got motion sick in was The Born Supremacy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mine was Russian Arc. <laughs> oh, well, that one got me too because that has a big old wide lens and it's <laughs> nauseating. Just, yeah. Um, yeah, the production design, really interesting. There are a couple times where things just seemed very exaggerated. So, for example, in the room where he's recording the message to his father, the paneling on the walls that muffles the sound are way more angular than normal. You remember, it's like it's like those things, yeah. but way longer. There's no actual practical benefit to that, right? It's just some sort of... Our engineer like, would know. I mean, but I think that you do want, like, irregular shapes in sound rooms. It was probably a really cool recording studio. When you look at Apple, Apple has, like, these... What was the test? It was, like, some kind of crazy test for, like, antenna coverage. It was, like, this crazy room that looked like that. Or that world's quietest room oh. in the world. The so Veritasium guy had... Oh, Derek also has, like, this weird room... It's that always so like hard that. for me to, to where's the line between design and yeah. practicality. But I don't know. It looked it looked like legit. I mean, a little more extreme, like an extreme version of it. But it did look like it could be a really quiet, like completely soundproof yeah. room, which I think it's like a lot of security. Obviously, like they're yeah, yeah, very yeah. into. Um, he has to. What did you guys think about the calm room? Is that what they called it? I thought that was a little, a little cheesy. But it was a room like with all the projections on <laughs> the wall. All the projections on the wall. It seemed like something that was less than five minutes into the future, more like one minute into the future. Mm-hmm. I just felt like there was probably a better way to to a more futuristic, interesting way that wasn't crazy sci-fi. But I just have a hard time believing that that would really work that way. I, well. I, I have seen a thing like a calm room in several sci-fi stuff. Like I think there's one in Black Mirror. I want to say, and I'm yeah. In my mind, I'm always in like. Like who would actually use this for this re- way in this like way? A, like massive twelve foot projections of bees, right? Or like flowers and yeah, sunset. I don't know. To me, a calm room would be more like in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, where they just give you like a woman, you know, <laughs> and calm down. Yeah, exactly. All right, guys. Before we move on, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors over at Skillshare. So Skillshare is an online learning community. Thousands of awesome classes covering dozens of creative and entrepreneurial skills. You can take classes in everything from photography, creative writing, design, productivity, and more. So whether you're returning to a longtime passion project, challenging yourself to get outside your comfort zone, or simply exploring something new, Skillshare has a class for you. So the class I've been telling everybody about that I've taken that I really, really took a lot out of was the Writer's Toolkit, Six Successful Steps to a Successful Writing Habit by Simon Van Bowie. I'm hoping I'm getting his name right, Bowie, boy. Um, so some of the things that he emphasizes are setting the conditions. So make writing a ritual. Mm-hmm. Writing sucks. It's painful. Everyone hates doing it, even if you're great at it. Just by giving yourself a cup of coffee or maybe by exercising before, it can make it mm-hmm. much more manageable and much easier to start. Um, he also emphasizes writing exercises. I think that's super important. Don't just start writing. Give yourself some some warm up. You know, the thing I do is I'll take a look at a picture, randomly generated picture on the internet, and just start. What is the story of whatever I just saw? Oh, that's cool. So you can join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for Show Me the Meaning listeners. That's two free months. That's Ooh. right. Skillshare is offering Show Me the Meaning listeners two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Wisecrack. Again, that's Skillshare.com slash Wisecrack to start your two free months now. Skillshare.com slash Wisecrack. And now back to the show. All right, guys, um, I don't really have anything else to bring up before the mailbag unless you guys uh, have anything you want to bring up. 
Um, the, the only thing I uh, that crossed my mind was, did any of you, or either of you, uh, uh, when he's falling down the uh, that in that one the scene antennas? at the beginning, did it ever mm -hmm. cross your mind, like, oh, this seems kind of like the setup for a dream sequence, like he'll wake up at any moment? Yeah, it did feel, the graphics, I guess, felt a little dreamlike. Yeah, the whole mm. setup, and then and then it never happened. I was like, "Huh, cool." Uh, yeah, his heart rate's just cr just really really steady. It's it a good way cool. to start a movie. Yeah, I actually couldn't believe how much action was in this movie because the poster is just Brad Pitt's face. It looks like the poster for her. Yeah. <laughs> and so as soon as we got that scene, and then there was a scene the of moon. a pirate spaceship, I was like, yeah. "Oh, damn!" Yeah, hell yeah! I thought I was. Ex I think because of all that action. And that's closer to Earth, and it kind of gets like it kind of gets lesser and lesser as he travels. Obviously, he's alone. Yeah. I thought Tommy Lee Jones. I thought they were going to have a big showdown, like a big showdown or something. A little yeah, more. It was just it was an emotional showdown. Yeah. Not really. It was just like, let me go, man. <laughs> like, okay. I don't know. He he straight up said, "I didn't give a fuck about you yeah. or your mother." Yeah. I mean, that's that, that that's a showdown. That, that hurts. Yeah. That, that shit scars. Yeah, I'm sure. But then he just sort of like, yeah, I don't know. He gets the very final farewell. He was just like. All right, like let me go. Okay, because you got to let go yeah. of not only him physically but him emotionally. And yeah. you, you don't need your father's approval. Yeah, you know, hey, enjoy yourself. You spent your whole life trying to measure up to your dad, and he don't give a fuck. I'll tell you about my dad right now. I took my dad to an Israeli restaurant. He's an Israeli <laughs> man. I took him to the hippest place in the neighborhood, and uh, the restaurant's called Maze, which means what's this? I take him there, and. The whole time he's just complaining. Like, this is not Israeli food. And then he keeps using the name like Maze. Like, what's this shit? The whole time. And then I just talked to him yesterday and he said, How's that terrible restaurant you took me to? You won't let it go. So now I just got to let him go. You know, you I was thinking, should I go to that to restaurant McDonald's, again? Man. I know. You know, I don't know. Just an example of difficult relationships between sons and fathers. Yep. So you got to take him to space next time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to go into the mailbag. We got a voicemail service. Hit us up with questions, comments, 213-534-8807 or 21ElfHut07. We're the Elf's Party. Woo. We got one from Aaron about a movie that's coming out this week that people seem to be talking about. Mm. Hey, Wisecrackers. Aaron here. Um, I just had a question for uh, the folks there at Show Me the Meaning. Um, what did you know with uh, the new Joker movie coming up? A question I've always wanted to ask you. If there's no inherent meaning to life and pretty much our only purpose is to find our own fulfillment, our own joy, then is it better to try to live your life as Batman or to try to live your life as the Joker? Because, I mean, Batman, he seems pretty miserable. He seems tortured. He's tormented. He's got all that money, and he still can't find peace as to where the Joker I mean, the dude always has a smile on his face. He's always having fun. You know, he's found some meaning in trying to um, destroy Batman. You know, he has a relationship in his life with Harley Quinn. He uh, seems to be having a blast. Now, it does, you know, destroy a lot of other people's lives in the process, but, you know, he doesn't really care about that. So his individual happiness, I think, is far above uh, Bruce Wayne. So if we are not under some type of higher law or obligation to be moral, um, who should we try to follow? Just love to hear you guys' take on that. That's Have a great question and very punchy. Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, un unfortunately, we li well, we live in a society, you know, and we have to take other people's pain into consideration. But also, I mean, the way that 
Aaron is describing the Joker as, as a hedonist. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, if you were, if there's truly no meaning to life, then there isn't meaning in pleasure either. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, being a hedonist is not being a nihilist. They're not the same. And as far as whether you're supposed to be Joker or Batman, I would say neither, man. Uh, I know that's kind of a, a <laughs> just, just, be, just don't definitely don't be the Joker. Definitely not. Because, yeah, I mean, we live in a society. You wouldn't want someone to be the Joker to you. Yeah. Yeah, that's like a simple morality and sort of, uh, yeah, treat others sort of thing. But it's, yeah, his point is a little more nuanced than I think. Because, yeah, the hedonism, so wherever the Joker derives his pleasure from, that's fine. But at the same time, if 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 you don't have any greater belief in a goodwill or in, in compassion— and and life is meaningless and life doesn't matter and our lives are don't matter at all i guess the question is is there something to his madness is there something to that and that's i wonder if this movie is going to explore that sort of that sort of direction i don't think so i think it's just going to be the king of comedy plus taxi, taxi driver. driver yeah which i like watched a sent into madness yeah, I think it's going to be madness as slightly endearing in the way that Rupert Pupkin is endearing, and I think that there might be some sort of social message. Because with, with Taxi Driver, which, by the way, Ryan, what do you think of Taxi Driver? A huge fan. Are When was the last time you saw it? Um, Probably about five years ago. It is slower than most people give it credit for. Dude, I, I, I mean, shoot, some. I'm probably going to lose a lot of credibility, but I don't like that movie. I, I really don't like that movie. I mean, look, perform- it's gritty. performance is probably the most important aspect of a movie, but it's not enough. And I think that's all that movie has going for it. He's am- Robert De Niro is amazing, but at the end of the day, this movie is... He's not likable at all, and he's just kind of a like a angry incel who becomes a white knight and is totally delusional. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I that movie is is an anti-hero movie. You're not supposed to root for the character, you know, and it's, but you kind of end up doing or do root, rooting for the character. I never know. See, see, I did the first time I saw it, but I've seen it three times now, and the last two times I watched it, I didn't root for him ever. No, I, I, mean, I thought I, he was I, misguided I, at all points. Yeah, I felt bad for I felt like bad for everybody else and I felt like this guy's yeah, I got to stop. Yeah, and that's and The King of Comedy on the other hand is amazing. I have not seen uh, that. That one's great. Uh it makes me a little bit concerned for the Joker movie. I hope I don't hate it. But uh that's the movie we're doing next week, so tune Woo! in. But anyway, let's do uh, let's do another one. This this one's on Shutter Island. This is from Anonymous. Hey, Wasrack. Um I really loved your podcast on Shutter Island, I just thought I would add that um, from the, I actually have to agree that when I first saw it, I felt that he knew who he was at the very end of the movie when he said that, you know, when he went back into the Teddy character and began to say that, you know, uh, is it better to uh, live, uh, you know, live as a monster or die as a good man? Um, and I think the other evidence I would posit is not just that time, but also just his demeanor. Um, he's so much, if you look at him, he's so much calmer. Also, you talked about how the colors were different for the ending of the movie. Um, they didn't revert back to that sort of shady color, you know, saying that he's back in his delusion. And also, you know, it's just much more manic throughout the rest of the movie. Even those last lines he says in the sort of Teddy character saying, oh, yeah, I'm almost at the bottom of this mystery. 
Um, I think that was really him just pretending. He realized that he didn't want to live anymore. He wanted to be lobotomized. But the only way that he could get lobotomized was if he uh, pretended to be Teddy one more time. And so he's really just lying. He's pretending that he's Teddy uh, just to get, um, just so he can get the lobotomy and just, you know, put himself out of his misery. And that one final line is just that evidence of that. Okay. Well, uh, that's those are my thoughts. Thanks, guys. Love the podcast. Keep doing what you're doing. Bye. We got a lot of emails about this, and I think everybody else nailed it, and we slightly missed it. That, <laughs> yeah. that he is pretending to be the uh, duly appointed federal marshal so that he can be lobotomized. <laughs> um, yeah, we got another email from Alex. Alex says, just had a quick thought about Shutter Island, uh, but at the end, Leo's character goes back to his delusions. My thought is that I don't think he actually believes he is the detective anymore. I think he deliberately chooses to act as Tenny. Teddy, the main thing that makes me think about this is his question at the end. The way he says this, then looks at Mark Ruffalo's character, kind of makes me wonder if this is a deliberate mm-hmm. act, if he knows that he'll be lobotomized and he wants to... And he wants that over living with the knowledge of what he is slash has done. I think he would rather die, in a sense, as a good man than live as a monster who killed his wife. Show me the meaning, crowd. You guys nailed it. We fucked up. You showed us the meaning, baby. That's right. Uh, From (laughs) Becky also, she says, My first interpretation of the ending was that Teddy had been cured and he is choosing to die as a good man by getting the lobotomy as he felt that living with the knowledge of murdering his wife would be living as a monster. Kind of like the end of Old Boy. However, she says, my second interpretation was the pers- was from the perspective that it was selfish of Teddy to do that in the context that his doctor was trying to forward the treatment of mental health for violent offenders, and his sacrifice probably set that back indefinitely. So in this case, the roles would be reversed in that he would live as a good man by admitting that he was cured and showing that he doesn't need a lobotomy, therefore advancing mental health treatment or dying as a good man The op- or and dying as a good man the opposite would be true. Hope that made sense. Interesting. <laughs> that was my favorite uh, email about this whole thing because that's a totally twisted point that no one else has made. Is yeah. that he would really, you know, to be the ultimate, you know, he would be the the, the poster child for this uh, uh, for this technique. And no, he didn't do it. <laughs> he failed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but no, but her point is that if he was conscious enough to be able to choose to deliberately oh i'm going to i know i now know the division between my real self and my delusion i'm going to choose to wear the delusion Mm -hmm. therefore he is achieved some status of mental health so apparently it did work in some way but it'll be remembered as a failure exactly yeah yeah all right, we're going to do one more. This email is from Smoky Horizons. By the way, hit us up at movies at wisecrack.co. That's .co, not .com. So this is about The Dark Knight Rises. He says, while listening to your podcast, I noticed that during your Dark Knight Rises video, you never talked about the shooting that is tied with it. I know I personally hate watching the movie because I was living in Aurora at the time and was worried about friends who were diehard DC fans, worried that they had gone to the theater that night. Thank goodness they hadn't. But now when I see it, I just feel anxiety. I was wondering what your thoughts on how the shooting could have changed the general public's perspective of the movie, and if you feel it ties into your viewing of the movie. Like if the media showing what had happened all over TV made the experience of watching the movie for the first time tainted for you. Thank you for that email, Smoky Horizons. Um, First of all, I saw it at midnight, 
so I was unaware of it when I saw it for the first time. Me too. I'll I'll also say that I think that really the thing that's tainted is still more of the Joker, and we're seeing evidence of that. Even though it was before the midnight screening of The Dark Knight Rises, he was dressed as the Joker, and it seemed to be more of a... People remember it more as connected to The Dark Knight rather than The Dark Knight Rises, at least in my mind. And, yeah, I mean, you see that with, you know, there are some it was, and it was sensationalist. Dark Knight Rises, right? It was at the July yeah. 20th, yeah. 2012, yeah. Uh, and you even see that today with some perhaps sensationalist headlines about upped security at Joker screenings this weekend. I mean, honestly, mm. we're getting into some pretty dark territory here, but I yeah. am worried about this weekend, dude, to be completely honest. I mean— I figured you would be, and to be honest, I'm not—I'm not—I mean, look. I'll I'll say that I'm going. I'm choosing my theaters consciously. I'm not going the opening weekend, and but I'm honestly not a huge Joker fan, so I don't really care about going opening weekend. But definitely not. You know. Mm. Yeah. Um, be yeah. careful, man. Sick yeah, fucks out there, dude. Those copycat killers trying to get the high score, are fucking idiots. And anyway, all right, it goes without saying, obviously. Well, but, what about uh, the movie? What do you do? Does that? Uh, is the movie tainted at all for you, either one of you? No. Fuck no. Jacob, no. I mean, the, okay. the, it's two separate things. And I totally, everyone should go uh, read uh, Joaquin Phoenix's, uh, I thought, great answer to you know people asking him about this. And Todd Phillips, mm. who they, they straight up say, I am I will talk about this and I you know until the cows come home and defend their movie. Because it's not up to the fucking filmmakers to teach morality at the end of the day is kind of what Joaquin Phoenix mm-hmm. said. And I a hundred percent agree with that. And, uh, you know, you mm-hmm. can't make me- movies just thinking about there being fucked up people in the world and how they'll consume it. The actions that it motivates. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. separate from the film. For me. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, we're going to be covering Joker next week. So tune in and we'll be breaking down the movie. Uh, I want to thank Jacob and Ryan for joining me. Sure thing. Don't forget to uh, check out us. Check us out on Medium. Join me at the Austin Film Festival. Check out the South Park podcast. I'm hoping it's going to be a good season so far. It's good. Yeah. So uh, until next time, see ya. Goodbye from Culver City, California. Doesn't quite have the same ring. Uh, right. Yeah, I know. it's Hollywood over here. Find me on All right, Ryan everybody. <laughs> oh, check out Ryan's shorts for sure. Funny stuff, man. All right. Have a great night, everyone. Peace.